When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to Crunch Time. Missing. Places it for Isaac Smith and he can run at the 50 from near the boundary. He sets it up and kicks a superb goal. Gave it to Fullerton. Charlie Cameron oh. off the left. Line ball. I reckon it's got there. Yep. Charlie Cameron's kicked two and scores are level. Ten minutes played in this final term. Holmes has been quiet. Kicks long to full forward. There's another one. That was a push too. He doesn't wait. He turns. He steps. He goes. Hawkins has kicked five. I thought for the second week in a row when the game was really on the line, I thought the players, and it was a player-led thing, just looked really organised when the heat was on. And you know, when we lost our best player the last 12 months with gastro game day and you know, great captains not playing, the danger field didn't have as big an influence on the game as he normally um, does. Uh, you need others to step up, and I thought that happened. But look, I think the, the, the right team won tonight. I thought Geelong were just a little bit better around the contest. They were able to break through our tackles better than we were able to break through theirs. Our blokes were, they stuck at it, but we just didn't, our game didn't reach any any high standard, I didn't think, tonight. And a lot of that was due to Geelong's pressure. A pulsating Friday night comes with plenty of residual controversy. The Cats get the cream, the Lions are left to lament, and we all ponder what constitutes a push in the back these days. This is this is a truly awful night for Port Adelaide. It really is. Um, they just haven't been good enough. They they look genuinely like a bottom four side tonight. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of this crowd leaves at half time. And Jared, you and I have spoken before about how influential the Port Adelaide crowd can be, and they just don't turn up when things go away. So they'll vote with their feet, unfortunately. And it's never nice to see your own players getting booed off the ground. But that's what's about to happen as Port Adelaide enter the change rooms to try and compose himself on what has been the most disappointing first half of footy in the club's history. I think it was one of those ones where you walk in and you're very disappointed but you know you've had a proper crack. It wasn't like you threw in the towel for the first 45 minutes of the game. It was an absolute arm wrestle and then um, we conceded half a dozen easy ones too quickly and from then on it was a real battle. No one's more frustrated than us and the fans. We, we, we understand the frustration because they want their team to be playing well today. Our players and our coaching staff and our whole football club will stick together and work really hard to make sure that we quickly get back on, on track somewhere close to what they would love us to be playing like. No one wants it more than the people that are working inside the club. We're desperate for the tournament. The fall of Port Adelaide. How has the twice preliminary finalists dropped so far so quickly? And at 0-4, and four, how does the power ride out? What comes next? Look, it's, I mean, that's the, it's the ultimate prize that 
why we why football clubs exist. You know, it's it's everything that all the players are. Are striving for, and you know what will be, will be, and um, the best team will, will come out um, tomorrow and get the opportunity to lift that cup. And I think it took a couple of days to really sink in that we were in and we had a chance. So yeah, the little moments where it did hit you were were quite exciting and a little bit of emotional. But yeah, in the team meeting afterwards, when Mick started talking about next week and the grand final, it did really hit me like. I remember a distinct moment and I, I did get a bit emotional and thought, all right, we, we've got a crack at it now. And we're counting down to a grand final for the modern ages. Adelaide and Melbourne meets in the AFLW's biggest game with the legacies of two of the greats in stark focus. This is the round four edition of Crunch Time. There is nothing better than gathering the next day after a pulsating game to pull at all the different threads and debate the talking points out of Friday night footy. That's when it's at its absolute best. Jared Waitley with you on Crunch Time. Dermot Brereton is with me. We parted company last night, Dermot, and I'm driving home thinking, I actually can't wait to start talking to you about this all over again. <laughs> it was good fun last night, wasn't it? There was... Two teams pretty evenly matched and not completely on top of their game. And that's what they gave us. They gave us some beauty in contest and they gave us a few errors here and there and it made for a fantastic contest. And forwards, forwards in vogue, oh, Dermot. They are. It's rare that you see a game where at both ends of the ground, the key forwards, the marking forwards, are pretty well holding sway over their opponents. And yet the winning score was 11 goals. So it was a conundrum in many ways, but it was it was lovely to watch. Kane Corns, it was a fair old contrast from Thursday night to Friday night. I was <laughs> thinking of you driving home as well. <laughs> I was just thinking as you're talking, the key forwards in Vogue, McStay and Danaher and Hawkins and Cameron up one end and the other. And do you need two key forwards to win it this year? You probably do. And I'm leaving the Adelaide Oval on Thursday night and Port Adelaide don't have one. So that's a, that's a little bit depressing. But no, it, was a, it was a terrific game of football. You would think that both of these sides are going to be uh, in the mix come finals time. I, I thought Geelong were excellent. Like, honestly, when I when I heard Chris Scott speaking before the game and uh, Stewart was out and Radagalia was out already on the back of Selwood being rested, I thought, yeah, I'm, I'd be a little bit nervous if I was a Geelong fan. They had plus 10 scoring shots and plus 18 inside 50s. I... I thought they were far the better side last night. And if it wasn't for a couple of easy misses, and there were some really easy ones, you know, Jeremy Cameron from 30 metres out touched um, and some others that they missed early on, I thought it would have been a, a comprehensive victory. So I walked away thinking, what a side they are. Every year, you think they're going to fall off a cliff. Uh, 12 players over the age of 40, you think, how long can they continue to do this? And every year they front up and they're in the mix again and looks like they're going to be in the mix again. The one thing I noticed about the forwards, when you mentioned it, Jared, it's a weird game, this, isn't it? We leave sheltered, live sheltered little lives during this time of the year. We, we go and call on it, and then we drive home, we think about it, and when you're sleeping, I try to go to sleep. Not even two teams I'm emotionally involved in, and I'm thinking, how did that happen? <laughs> and I'm analysing that. And for reality for me was when it went Brisbane's end, it was talent-driven goals. When it went Geelong's end, of course they've got talent, but it was more system 
orientated goals. And there has to be a little bit said for that as well. Even though they missed the shots, that was more system. They played for each other in the forward end, whereas the Lions tended to, there's the ball, I'm a good mark, I'll run at it, I'll jump at it, and I'll hopefully mark it. They did, but there wasn't as good a system playing for each other. So is that the change in system Geelong was striving for and talking about and it's materialising? As last week, it's a bag for Cameron with... Hawkins running shotgun last night. It's a bag for Hawkins with Cameron running shotgun. Yeah, and we also saw that Reece Stanley pushing forward to drag the tall defender away, and that gives Jeremy Cameron a better shot against Darcy Gardner, who's a wonderful player, Gardner, but not equipped to reach as high. So he looked dangerous in front of goals. I think they could have got even better in front of goals had they allowed that a little bit more time in the goal face. And then Hawkins, the amount of times, I mean, we're talking about a sport these days where we saturate an area of the ground, but Hawkins got half a dozen to probably 10 genuine one-on-ones against Marcus Adams. That just doesn't happen in this day and age with the saturation we put players into an end. That system playing for each other. So is that a game, Kane, that helps shake out the order in your mind? So Geelong are at home. They win. Um, I don't think Brisbane lose anything through it. They're in the they're in the top mix as well. What what does it do to sort of your overall after four games from each of those two? Well, just, just the admiration I've got for for Geelong. I mean, I, I just didn't expect this. And they they start the season really well. They have a blip, but then they they bounce back with a stunning come from behind win last week. Didn't play at their best, but last night I thought they. The way that they move the ball, and first time we've got to see them on their home ground, we know the dimensions are a little bit unique and they play it so well. But I don't know if we've learnt much other than to think that they'll be in and amongst it. Now, Brisbane, I'm with you, Jared. I don't think we lost a whole lot from them, and I still think they're in the top handful of teams. Geelong, I don't know. Dangerfield, nothing last night. Stewart didn't play. Does Gary Rowan do a mini preseason and come back in and help? But... Can they sustain that or will they drop off as, as the year goes on? So I, I actually don't know if we learnt much. Is that, I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but I walk away going, yeah, I'm just, you know, I, before the game, I would have thought they're about where they were. And after the game, I think they're about where they were. So it wasn't a, a big opinion shifting game for me, if do that you, makes any sense. Do you sense. think, Kane, that the Brisbane midfield can get better? So the one concern I've got, Doom, about their their midfield, do, do they have the power in the midfield? So when when we saw Melbourne on um, Thursday night, yeah. so it's a it's a quick burst, game over in ten minutes. Can, can Brisbane do that? Like Lockie Neal gets tagged, but he still has thirty and eleven clearances. I, I kind of did a reasonable job, although I didn't think it was a um, very disciplined job from O'Connor. I've, a c- couple of edits I saw last night where instantly Neal's just got ten meters on him. So that, that wasn't really a tag but McCluggage is a is a nice player but he's not gonna burst and, and break a game open then what next I mean Zorko doesn't go in there anymore they want Barry um, to be the the big to grow yeah. into that big midfielder don't they and he's showing signs of it and he's his age and, and games total suggests he's on the verge of mm. that Rayner would be the one for me so that that would have been the development that I would love to see from Cam Rayner had he not had the knee injury he's the one that can go in there and do your Petrarca. I mean, he's sort of started his career like Petrarca. Forward, um, you know, even that contested mark yeah. he took last night was beautiful in the left foot goal. 
but he hasn't yet shown that he can go significant midfield minutes and hurt you from there. So is that yeah, tank but, on your behalf? Yeah, yeah, it would be. It would be absolutely, and, and also just finding you know, finding your body and and what works. So. I reckon you're right, Derm. I reckon the midfield for me would be one question on on Brisbane. And at times, and during the third quarter last night, they were found out in that space. And and it, does that feed in then to that which Jared Healy was talking about last night? Dane Zorko playing on the back flank. How long do you persevere with? Yeah, he's a bit of a strike kicker coming out of the back line and can get some yardage away from the stoppage before he releases. How long do you persevere with that before you say, hey, we need him in the middle? And Bailey, Bailey, you know, I, I would have thought a bit more midfield from Bailey. Like we heard that, that they were the rumblings before the start of the season. So Zach Bailey, I reckon he's is capable. Look, it's a it's a bit of a work in progress. Um, they 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 have the talent, but do they have the big body, Dagoe, Stringer, Dangerfield, Fife, Petrarca, Oliver type, and they don't have that on their list. And I think that's a a, a bit of a question mark for them. The first time you get written about has been a, a big dollar target by multiple rival clubs. You mm. want to play well the next time out. And Daniel McStay did that. If you're a little bit of, why is everyone offering big dollars for Daniel McStay? And you sat down last night and went, oh, okay, I get that. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's not many blokes who are, you know, six foot four, close to 100 kilos, who can take the pack mark inside 25. But also there was, it, it, we didn't, there wasn't enough time to elaborate on it because it was on the fly and you were calling. He hit the wing on a lead and took a contested mark over the pack on the centre wing, right on the boundary. And I thought, that's your lead-up centre-half forward, Mark. And then close to goal, inside 25 metres, that's your power forward, Mark. He's doing both. Now, he's not he's not Wayne Carey, but he's giving them a an avenue in both areas. I mean, so it's not as if... You've got your, your six foot two lead up centre half forward who then goes inside and you say, well, all we've got to worry about now is is uh, Joe Danaher. No, you've got two to worry about. As long as they don't both go to the same drop of the ball and cannibalise the opportunities, as long as they can have separation, with you, you're still worrying about both. And I know it's, it, it sounds trite, but being a, a left footers, you look at different areas inside forward 50 when a left footer gets it, you say, oh, this will suit him. <laughs> and it's a weird thing for backmen to know they're playing against key forwards who are left footers. It's, it's, it's just that weird. It's like bowling to left, left-handed <laughs> batsmen. You just know they're going to flay you through point. It's just you don't normally cover point with that much. You don't cover certain areas or you corral forwards into certain areas. Left footers change that thinking. Yeah, I'd want to see him. Kick, I'd, he's not a big goal scorer. Would be my my only question. Before I was prepared to pay him a Darcy Moore type contract, and I'd be reluctant to do that with anyone. But a six year deal, I'd want to see him kick more than forty goals in a year. Like he's the most he's ever kicked in a season is twenty eight, yeah. and he had two goals leading into last night. He was goalless in his first two games, Jared. So he's got five goals for the year from four games. So he's your nice third. Hitwood comes back in with Dan. That's a that's a great mix of a forward line, but. If I'm going to pay you big money, I want to see you kick 50-plus goals for the year. You don't yeah. think 40 regularly would, would do it? I reckon in this day and age, 40. But he's never done it, dude. Yeah, he's, never kicked, he's never kicked 30. And he's uh, he's not a young player. Like, he's, he's nearly up to 150 games. He, he's going to turn 27 so, soon. So he's been around for a long time, and he's yet to show that he is a, a, a more than a goal-a-game player. Yeah. Oh, that's, what, oh, that's how I felt when I read the pieces. I thought, really? 
And then he played like that last night and thought, mm. oh, okay then. If he does that. Yeah. He had a blinder a couple of years ago against Port Adelaide early in the year when they completely Smashed. annihilated an outsized Port's back line. Um, he's a little bit like that money ball line. Does he get on first? Does he get the ball through the goals? And that's the answer to Does he kick goals, Kane? And no, he doesn't kick enough. But there'll come a time when he, if he can keep this standard up, he will get his shots. He'll kick a one or a two some weeks, and he'll get a four every third or fourth mm. week. Just before we get to Hawkins, who was the centrepiece of the night, the most intriguing player on the field was Sam DeConing. And mm. we watched a young man take a major step in his career through a night where it was wobbly early, and he grew in confidence. We watched him grow in confidence through the night and start yeah. to do his thing. He needs to play on Tom Hawkins at training endlessly because <laughs> yeah. the, the, players, the players that are going to give him trouble might not be the most athletic who can outreach him or match him for reach and jump and explosiveness. It'll be the crafty forward who knows what he's doing, knows body movement, knows when to hip out, knows when to take him into traffic and exit stage left. That type of forward is the one who'll get him because at the moment he's, he's the big – white, lovable, blonde puppy dog who's just, his tongue's hanging out the side of his mouth and he's just launching at everything that comes his way. If I would look at that and say, oh, please, I hope he comes to me. He's going to take a couple of ripping marks, but I'll get him sideways. I'll get him out the back because he's playing in straight lines. He's, he's got to learn from blokes like Tom Hawkins right now. Yeah, wobbly early. I, I've written some notes down saying this is a disaster, him <laughs> back, but... but yeah, so he missed a tackle early, and it was a really ordinary attempt at a tackle, and Brisbane got a goal. He was outmarked a couple of times. But the longer the game went, I thought, gee, that was absolutely something. Like, good coaching again. Like, this is one held thing his nerve, able... didn't he? Yeah, exactly yeah. right. So that's the, that's the exact term. He held, held his nerve on what could have been, all right, quick, let's flip this around. Let's put Blixarves back. Let's use him as a second ruck. He can help out Stanley. But it was good, methodical coaching. To No, this is, there's more to this than just, a game. It's about the development of a young player, and and in that, I thought the Stanley Blixarves combination was outstanding. I thought Blixarves last night was was terrific, um, and what a good player he's been for a long time. So yeah, definitely something to work with. It's just what what do they do now? Stewart will come back. Do they do they keep him there? And, and will this be his home ongoing, or will he be flipped around everywhere? Um, and that can really hurt and stunt development if that. So I'd like to just see them persevere with him down back. I. We look at games played and experience, and yes, it does count for something. But I thought Chris Scott held his nerve, as we just made mention, on, on De Koning last night. You could say he's played 20 games, but if you've played him for 20 games at the end by the end of this year or next year, are they meaningful games? Are they, oh, we've protected you once we look like it goes wrong? Oh, we've taken you off and we've given you a cushy spot as the third tall in the forward line. We've given you a cushy spot to ruck against uh, um, their relief ruckman when the time. But he gave him real onus and he left him on there. And a lot of coaches will say, you know what? Early on, I thought, oh, this has got disaster written all Mm -hmm. over it. Mm -hmm. But let's leave it because Geelong were in front. Might have only been a point. Might have only been a goal or less. But they haven't been smacked off the park. And if this kid's in that position that's taking heat and the team is not suffering, let the boy fight his way through it. If they bang on three or four quick ones through his man, yeah, that's when you address it. But he held his nerve and allowed the boy to sit in the seat 
and take that heat at that moment. I thought it was fantastic coaching. So the controversy of the night is the, the fifth goal from Hawkins where he pushes Harris Andrews in the back. Uh, it's not the same as last year where the game absolutely was determined by the umpire error at the end. Zach Bailey should have had what would have been the last kick of the game and the Lions yep. would have won. So it's not quite like for like, but it's a decent old talking point. Mm. I, I suspect when the review of the last quarter is done, it won't be terribly kind to the umpires in a whole number of instances. This is the one that is most sharply in focus. This is the one. Um, but as you say, so firstly, it didn't cost them the game. I thought... Geelong dominated the game and had another opportunity, so it wasn't it wasn't a match deciding decision. It was the wrong decision, and I guess what made it worse was the explanation from the umpire last night. So, shall we Do hear me? that, Kane, and yeah, then you can pick up off the back of that? You're both running forward, and momentum took you forward. He's held his ground. He's held his ground. Yeah, so it's an umpire under pressure. The explanation doesn't make any sense. You're both running forward. Uh, the momentum's pushed you forward and he's held his ground. Well, you can't be both moving forward and holding your ground at the same time. So that that was an umpire that probably realised he'd made an error and was scrambling for some sort of explanation. The thing that frustrates me about this is if that's a defender on a forward, they wouldn't even think twice. That's a free kick every time. Like, defenders can't chop it. Oh, arm. settle down. Come on. Well, you can't do him. You can't put an arm on the hip. You can't push in the back you can't block you can't do anything if you're a defender but up the other end it, it seems like you get a bit more leeway and, and Tom Tom's very good at it and he kicked a lot of goals from doing it and it, it's funny only a few minutes later Harris Andrews had one himself yes. he is well he did it he did it out of spot he went well if that's how you're going to umpire it Here's the biggest shove of the night, and I dare you to pay it. Yeah, and he and and they didn't. So yes. that, was, that was that was a square up, and I reckon there was a couple of push in the back. It was as a well. call, wasn't it? Yeah. Dowhouse got a push in the back, and then um, I think Close got one in a in a tackle. So there was a couple of decisions that weren't paid, um, but that had to be a free kick. And the explanation it didn't make any sense. And I would assume the AFL will come out and clarify that. And what will happen now is. We're going to crack down on that for the rest of the round, and I wouldn't want to be a forward in the same position uh, moving forward this round. My read on it is, and, and having been in a thousand of those situations, and it was a player who, at my height, had to play in front. So the amount of times that you're trying to push back into your opponent, if they put the hands on your back and restrict you from motioning backwards towards them, you can wear that. But as soon as they, with their hands, move you forward away from the drop of the ball, that's in the back. You get, Simon Beasley was the best at it, the old pie man who played full forward for uh, uh, the dogs. He would stand behind and put two hands on the back and never would he push forward. He'd hold and resist and then at the last half second take a step back to the drop of the ball. That's not in the back. I, I think we've got that confused since we've changed the rule back to permit the palms of the hands to make contact with the back. It went back to James Clement in the Collingwood Essendon final some years ago, 12, 13, 14 years ago, where he motioned James Hurd under the ball several times and there was outrage. Uh, and we then we made the rule, no hands are to mm. be placed in the back. And then some people said, well, that's a bit too restrictive for the freedom of the game and and the likes, rather than have the majesty of a mark, we're paying too many in the back free kicks for hands on the back. I do believe just a restriction of movement back towards you is all right with the hands, but not a wrap that moves the player forward. And that's what we got last night. So are we better off 
with the black and white interpretation or is the grey that invites the error more suitable for the game? The, the issue was it was perfect many, many years ago, the Simon Beasley interpretation, but then when James Clement was motioning James Hurd under the footy, uh, we, we, we knee-jerked into, instead of the umpires picking it up on the night, we knee-jerked into a whole new rule, yeah. which wasn't required. Mm. I, yeah, I think, the, I think just placing a hand is, is too restrictive. And, and it is difficult because often the defender will find himself out of position and he'll just feel that little bit of, and he'll exaggerate the contact. So, so that's where it becomes difficult for the umpire. Is it a genuine push? Is it just a you know momentum thing and the defender has exaggerated? So it's a, it's a tough one. But for me, the umpire was in good position last night, and that was just, just a poor decision. And there is such thing as a, a bad decision. That the, was one. The key backman disguised the hands in the back. It, then thereafter, they just started training to put the forearm into the middle of the back. And you can, it's very difficult to push forward with a forearm, but you can restrict movement coming back towards you. It's a truncated edition of Crunch Time today because it is an exciting day in Adelaide. The AFLW Grand Final uh, will be there in a little more than an hour from now as Adelaide and Melbourne meet. You're listening to Crunch Time. Yes, everyone have an opinion, but everybody do it in a respectful way. Don't think that anyone in our club is not doing their absolute best to get the results that we think we deserve and and that we need. Never think that in a million years. Port Adelaide President David Kosh after a miserable Thursday night in the City of Churches that that has all of football asking. So before you find it down, is Cane Corns, how how have they fallen so fast so quickly? I've been obviously having a think about this for a couple of days and um, you sort of try and wonder why. Is it because the depth isn't as good as they thought it was going to be? Is it because of the progression that they would have hoped from those players that have played 40 to 50 games, they just haven't come along as quickly as they would have liked? Is there a hangover from the disappointment of a prelim and getting there twice but realising you're so far away? Is it is there some fatigue after 10 years with the same coach? Is the loss of Voss and Schofield in the assistant coaching department significant, or is it a combination of all of it, all of it Jared? It's probably and it's probably all of that. And Ali doesn't play, Dixon doesn't play, um, Orazio Fantasia, their second most prolific goal scorer, is not there. Robbie Gray's not there. Lysett gets injured early. Ollie Wines doesn't. So it's it's a combination of all of that. So if you're asking me what is the one thing going wrong with Port Adelaide, there isn't one thing. It's a combination of all of those things, um, and. You know, they they did keep, as bad as it was, as bad as that first half was, and I said on the night it was uh, the worst half in the club's history, well, that was because the stark reality is that they didn't kick a goal. I mean, and that is a that is a crushing blow. You walk in halftime and you haven't kicked a goal for the first time in your club's history, but they did keep, keep Melbourne to 68 points without a Lear, with a Ruckman with one arm, no Wines, no Dicks. So it's not, it wasn't, and Jonas said that, the effort was there, and I probably agree with him, but it was just the game plan they went in with and the way that they executed was the wrong method and it was the wrong way to go about it against the Melbourne side who are so strong behind the ball. They, Yeah, I agree with you. They did keep them to 68 points, but they kept them to 68 points without ever having a chance of winning. Yeah. I mean, you, sometimes you've got to have a risk. You've got to risk something to actually 
score. And they had a few moments. I mean, even the Georgiatas run in, mm. you know, deliver the ball when you get you get a golden opportunity at a at not even a one second point in time, a millisecond. Take the shot. Take the shot when you – and if you're a lead player, you kick that. Don't invent it into a perfect opportunity. Anyway, that's really drilling in on that individual passage of play. Um, yeah, Ollie Wines with only the seven possessions for, for the obvious reasons. Uh, Lysette going off. They still held sway after half time, but that's the style of game. Once you take star quality out of a league team, and their mm. star quality is Aaliyah's intercept marking capabilities, star quality is Charlie's um, – Competition work in the forward half and uh, um, Fantasia's ability to make less than half chances into goals and Robbie Gray the same. Once you take that out of it and you've got a midfield that is is blue collar and doesn't kick it all that well, Mm. you actually go back to the old adage of you're never quite as good as you think you are. And they're probably not as bad as we think they are right now. So how do they ride out the next couple of weeks so that it doesn't implode? Because if 0-4 becomes 0-5 becomes 0-6, mm. is historically, um, you can be... It's hard to uh, Yeah, you can pretend it's going to be fine for as long as you like and keep smiling, but at some point there's... A I go by the old adage, Jared, that having gone through a 0-6... You're a better coach at the end of that than you were when it was zero zero. But can you hang on? It, it depends on whether the players, if you lost lost the players, and I don't think there's any sense that the, he's lost to the players, is there? Not not from what I'm seeing, no, and, and not from you know. It could have they could have capitulated, couldn't they, on on Thursday night? They didn't do that. They they hung in there. Um, the previous week, they were easily the better side against Adelaide. The, you lead for 120 minutes and lose after the siren. The Hawthorne game was the one that was that really hurt because they were just poor against the side that we all thought were rebuilding. And, but that and showed be, their game style to be flawed correct, that night. Yeah. And, and, and so maybe they've got – well, they've definitely got that wrong as well. So what do you do? That, that's the – so your question, Jared, is what do you do? And mm. if you're advising Port Adelaide now, what do you do? Well, he's earned the right. So Ken Hinckley has earned the right – to coach himself out of this and to get the group out of this. Now, if it comes to the halfway point and you're, you're one and ten or whatever it is, then you have a discussion. But I think the way that it will play out is they will let him ride, ride the ship and, and they'll support him strongly and the players will continue to speak strongly about him. I think they, they, they'll they upset a few and they'll, to Derm's point, I don't think they're as bad as what we um, are saying they are right now. They've got Carl next week. They've got West Coast. So, you know, who knows? You may get... You certainly get one of those. You might get two, and then things will just start to turn slowly. But he coaches the year. It's at the end of the year. Um, you know, it, it probably feels like it's going to be the right time to move on. But that's not a discussion I don't think we're having right now. To your point, when the head office says we're lacking bums on seats, yeah, this is the time of year. I mean, right now should be, hey, how good is our team going? Let's get down and buy the family membership. Mm, they. That's- that will impact when the head office says this has got a dollar sign attached to it. How is the how's the DNA of the, mm. the Port Adelaide power for that scenario? So chip in with me here, Jared, because you believe that fans shouldn't have a say. Oh, I, no, I believe football clubs shouldn't react to their fan base. So fans Should can say whatever they like. Them not turning up though. Uh, well, it depends if you're strong or not. Depends if you still believe in what you've built and that you think it can turn 
because fans will turn as soon as wins start to come again. But if you say, say you, you take the retribution step and sack the coach, are you any better off the next week? Mm, no, the, the answer to that in Port Adelaide scenario is obviously no. And I'll debate that with anyone all day long. They would be no better off next week with a different coach than they are now. It's not going to cure their ills of personnel. It's not going to, whatever their issues within their game plan are, is not going to be resolved by somebody else on that coaching staff. It, it, it almost makes it more confusing if you replace the coach now. Because what if he goes well? What, what if Brett Montgomery takes over and goes really well? Now, you're almost obliged to give him the job at the end of the year, but that never works. Well, that rarely works either. We saw it with Ray Shaw. You know, Matty Primus, did, he was 5-2, and two, Matty Primus. They gave him, didn't, didn't work. We've seen many other instances. David Teague. You know, there's a, so it's almost more confusing if things go well. Um, so I'm with you on that. You are no better off uh, moving on from the coach now, but they're going to start to vote with their feet, and they already have 24. Historically, Kane, there's a lot of yeah. coaches who would have liked you to walk up the head office and tell them that as well, because head yeah. office does have a say in these these no matters. Doubt. No doubt, that's where I think you need really strong leadership. And to my first point is, he's earned the right. He's been a very good coach and a great leader, and he's got credits in the bank for coming in when the club was a mess. And I was there; it was a complete mess. And he turned it around with his honesty and his integrity and he's a good person and he's got good results. So uh, he he absolutely deserves the right to at least have the opportunity to turn this around. These things are only ever told in hindsight. My one question I'd love to know now, but we'll learn over time, is did they know they were in strife coming into the season? So coaches and coaching staffs will have a reasonable idea privately and they'll never give voice to it publicly. Did they know they are in strife and that this actually isn't as jolting to them as it is to us? I think they're the blindsided. Uh, I think they're blindsided. Okay. Yeah, I think they. And that's a really thought, hard place to be if yeah. you've been blindsided by it. Because look at look at, and you can just get little hints from what they do in the off season. So so you let Laddams go, and you think, well, we've got a young ruckman called Sam Hayes, and he's going to come through, and he's going to get some. They, they haven't been. They desperately need to play him, but he's not ready to play. Did they bolster the midfield in any way? which was glaring to me from the outside. You look at what Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs got did Dunstan last year. from St Kilda, yeah. And they, they didn't add anything to the midfield. Oh, we'll have natural development. You go and get Finlayson, okay, well, it was well, he's clearly not the right person to come in and support Charlie Dixon and be the second ruckman. So you can get those little hints in the off-season. They didn't do enough. They overestimated the list, and I reckon this is completely out of the blue. I, I, I think they have been a little blindsided. Well, Ali is falling down when he we hurt himself a couple of weeks ago. That's that's blindside, of course. Um, Robbie Gray nicked his hamstring in that in that uh, practice mm. match. Uh, Charlie, they'd have been worried about. They'd have been worried about the contested beast. But, and they've thrown a lot of onus, a lot of responsibility onto Georgiades. And I think Georgiades, uh, for the bulk of this season so far, has done – Pretty well. He's Good shown team. us that he's mm. he's been a really talented leaper at the footy, uh, and going to be if Charlie's there, arguably uh, he'd be in the top two or three second bananas forward line bananas in the comp because he's so talented at winning the ball aerially. So they probably thought he can hold the fort until Charlie comes back. That's an underestimation. I mean, you still have to have somebody powerful enough to make sure that there's a flurry of worry in the other coach's yeah. box to say, how do we deal with this? 
and there isn't against Port Adelaide's forward line at the moment. Is it Melbourne then daylight, Kane? Uh, I think they're. I don't know. I'm going to. I think they're 15 percent better than the next best, but I don't know who the next best is. And I think we'll get a reasonable <laughs> indication tonight. So I, I would. Even before last night, I thought the Western Bulldogs probably have the most pieces of, of the puzzle to be the, still the challenger to them. Um, yeah, but they're, they're, they're so good. They're so well-drilled. They're so well-organised. And um, they don't seem to have suffered any lack of motivation after winning the Premiership. We have an eye toward what comes next in Round 4 and particularly today, the AFLW Grand Final at Adelaide Oval, the Crows and the Demons. It's a lively day in Melbourne, outside the window as well, because the Heineken Australian Grand Prix is uh, reaches Saturday, the qualifying stage for the Formula 1s. Uh, and there is just a, a huge number of people out in the town. So an update for Charlie Battisti and Co., Melbourne's most trusted repairer of prestige German vehicles. The third practice session begins at 1 o'clock Eastern and then qualifying at 4 p.m. today. The Ferrari of Charles Leclerc was the fastest in practice yesterday with Max Verstappen uh, nipping away at his heels. That update for Charlie Battisti and Co., you're listening to Crunch Time. Who needs a rever for Harley Heaven? The Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. The rev up for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson. I feel like it's Essendon who, who wear the rev up. It is by any means necessary. They just have to get their first win of the season against Adelaide on Sunday, and it's getting harder by the day. First, they mm. lost the coach and then they lost Jake Stringer, is you wouldn't want to fall into a hole here heading towards tomorrow because, as we've just been discussing, nothing good can be achieved from zero and four. Yeah, it feels like it's turning against them a little bit. Like Walker's coming back in, indoor stadium, he looks fresh and fit and raring to go as well. So he's going to challenge what is already an undermanned defence at the Bombers. Stewart's out and Sloan comes back in as well. So... The youngest team in the competition has actually been bolstered with some important experience. Um, they've played three really good sides, the Bombers. So what what to make of that? They're beaten by Geelong or smashed by Geelong. They lost to Brisbane. And then last week they were okay against Melbourne. So they've played probably three out of the top four sides in the competition. But you can't go zero and four. And you've got to be penciling this one in at home against a side who we all think is bottom four. Um, so it's just one of those ones, you're right, they just have to win. So I'm unfussed by their zero and three, but I would be very fussed yeah, by zero yeah. and four. I'm, I'm a bit with you. Uh, and the personnel changes. I worry about a team when you try and put the, you know, the round peg into the square hole or vice versa. I don't know which way I've got that around, Jared. Uh, when I think you, either works. Either, either works, yeah. <laughs> either doesn't work. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Uh, when you play two legitimate ruckmen in your key forward posts and, and looking through their team, they have to play there. This is not, you know, uh, putting out your, your Thursday night team to, to run a ruse. They have to play there. You're, you're asking them to do something that they're not totally designed for. I know Peter Wright's capable as a full forward ruckman who who gets to the fall of the ball better in the in this season than we've seen him in, in his years at um, the Gold Coast Suns. But then you've also got a legitimate number one centre square ruckman. That's going to be all right for the centre square. Mm. But ruckmen don't get a rest when they play key position forward. Uh, maybe a half rest as a full forward, as I said. So they're asking their personnel to do something that they're probably not totally 
adapted to or designed to do, and that's got some worry for it. At home, I think they should should assist them, your travelling team, and they are young, the Crows, and they get some experience back, no, no doubt, Kane, but... The, the one recipe I've never let go of for, for disaster is young teams travelling. Yep. Mm. That, that, I don't think it'll be disaster for them, but I don't think they can win with a young team travelling. I won't say it. Well, who wins by default? Um, probably <laughs> probably the, the, the Bombers at yeah, home. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It, any, it don't, any I don't care whether they win by a point and fall in at the end. Is they just have. To win they have to, to get they? themselves yeah. underway, and this is so Jake Stringer's absence huge. Yeah, it is he the energy he provides, and this this is a bit of his problem is mm. that that question around conditioning and and the hamstring coming into round four, having not been ready at the start of the season, is sometimes a player can chase their year the whole way through. It's a good description, isn't it? Chase your year. And people talk about uh, the the preseason build up. It carries you through. Yeah, I do like the fact that he supplies something that not many opposition midfielders can deal with. The power away from stoppage and the occasional mercurial feat when kicking at goal. So as an opposition player, you say, well, I tried my best and I'm a pretty good player, but I can't stop that. (laughs) That's that's something every club wants and, and he's not there for them for that. Turn your daily commute into a daily thrill-seeking adventure at Harley, Heaven, Melbourne, Ringwoods and Dandenong. Now, the need to bounce back is what does this look like for North Melbourne today at the SCG? There wasn't widespread retribution at selection. I don't think David Noble has the luxury of that. But the need to bounce back for PGG rights on turf, Juriscape lawn seed from PGG rights or fruit-fed stores. Kane, what's, what do we need to see from the kangaroos today? Well, it's just uh, we, we can't be seeing 10 handball chains in a row without laying a glove on the opposition. Like, that's just pretty basic stuff. Now, they've gone to the well here. Heath Uni in the preseason, one of their assistant coaches called their effort embarrassing. Uh, David Noble did the same last week, and you're right. They, they don't have the luxury of the selection integrity that is needed here. You need to see their core group of players actually influence games. So I'm not – they're a young side, we get that. But but why isn't Davies Uniac playing better? Why isn't Greenwood playing better? Why isn't Larky doing it consistently, albeit I, I really like him as a future prospect? Why isn't Simpkin now dominating um, the game? Because these, these aren't young players anymore. They, they've played enough football and they've played enough football together. Cam Zerha, why hasn't he come on – um, and develop like we, we thought he could have. Kane Turner. So they're, they're the group that I'd be looking at. I mean, Callum Coleman-Jones can't even get a game in this side, which is... That's which concerning. Is, oh, that is, is concerning. Four, four years they gave him. Yeah, that is concerning at this point in time, and, and it needs a bit of investigation. I mean, he's still a young man. He's a kid, and he, we know that Ruckman take a bit longer. But he, from all accounts, even at Richmond, they thought he was good to go, and they mm. were disappointed to lose him. And yet he can't get a, a game at this point in time in the team, which is arguably, I don't think too many people would say, is the legitimately ranked 18th team in the comp. So but that's a good, yeah, And yeah. they're up against a really good opponent. Again, well-organised, um, Jared away from home. So I wouldn't have thought it's going to be an easy one for them. But I just, I just question where the development has come from that core group. Curtis Taylor should be driving this group forward to bring the young ones along with them. Yeah, the, 
concern too is that they got pasted up in their magoos as well. Yeah, so they're not yeah, bringing yeah. in somebody who's who's chock full of confidence. You know, you, you you get you come up from any seconds team, you're wrapped to get a game, but they're not exactly bringing in people who are knocking down the door. Their midfield and and Davies Uniac is back from you know a week off injured um, on the injury list. Uh, they're a bit thin in the midfield. Once you start seeing a little chink in the armour in form against a powerful midfield, and it, Sydney still have some youngsters in there, but then you start thinking, well, do they run Kennedy through there? Do they run Parker through there? I think unless they play exceptionally well, I think this is another, another nasty loss. Okay. Mm. I'd love to know what the non-negotiables are for the day. And I'll be interested to whether we can see what the non-negotiables small are. Small ground. It's a small ground. So they're going to get plenty of shots away, the Swans. Yeah. So All that right. could get nasty. The need to bounce back. Shall we have a crunch time dabble? Enjoying crunch time banter? Check out Dabble Banter channels and copy crunch time bets. Go on, have a dabble. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Josh Jeans is with us each Saturday. Josh, just give us the concept of dabble on you. Yes, Jared, thanks for having me back. So it's a new betting experience for punters. It's where social media meets betting, and you can do your standard bets on there, but you can also go through your feed, uh, follow the experts like yourself, other tipsters, and find yourself a bet that you can just simply copy, and uh, you can be on the same bet as well. There was a guy last week who hit a multi at uh, Randwick, four Group 1 winners paying 343 to 1, and 29 other dabblers copied that, so they had a win as well, which is fantastic. How did the crunch time dabble go last week? Oh, Jared, you know you're doing well. You know you're doing very well. <laughs> so last week, uh, you hit a two-leg multi, paying 563. And again, over 20 people copying that. So the dabble community has had a win as well. And uh, I like what you're doing today. It's a four-leg multi. The Swans going head-to-head there. Uh, Collingwood to win by over 40. Not giving the Eagles a chance. Uh, the Bulldogs and uh, also Fremantle to get a win. But uh, another dabbler that's doing very well. Dermy, uh, rumours during the week that you want to change your name to the Oracle. Who are you liking, <laughs> Who are you liking today? Uh, look, I like Buddy Franklin. <laughs> I, I do think they're going to get a lot of shots inside 50, uh, the Swans. So, but, but they might share them around a bit. So Buddy just three-plus goals. Uh, I'm going for the West Coast Eagles. You give them 22.5. I think Collingwood will win that. But just to get within 22.5 because uh, they've got some good personnel returning, but their cohesion and system mm. won't be great. And look, Richmond don't tag. So you've got to go McRae over 30. Uh, and the Dockers, the Giants will run them, but I can't yeah. see them winning 2,500 Ks from home. I think the, the Dockers should get that a 1 to 39. All right. Well, Danny, seeing as you're coming off two wins, I've got to hit the copy button there. The easiest way to do it, download the Dabble app, follow Crunch Time AFL as well as Jeremy23. Go on, have a dabble, dabble socially and gamble responsibly. Josh, thank you. Josh Jeans with us. Kane, what's the build-up for the AFLW Grand Final been like? It'll be across the bridge from you and uh, the opening siren's about 35 minutes away. Yeah, just um, beautiful, like, perfect day. Perfect Grand Final day. I know it's sort of flipped around when you get these sort of days in September, but just, just magnificent. It is all about the individual. I feel like it is the... The, the Daisy Phil- Daisy Pierce Aaron Phillips show today, and the, all the media coverage has been around that and the legacy that these two players will leave. In this town, it's a little bit of what's next for for Aaron. Does, does she win? And then is this her last game playing for the Crows? You get the feeling it is. But 
looks to be a, a really nice crowd uh, heading into the Adelaide Oval, and they're building some sort of dynasty here. So Maddie Clark at the Crows has done a great job. I feel like I want Melbourne to win. I just yes. feel like you know. I feel like that's the where the where the favourite uh, where the sentimental favouritism should be with with Adelaide's success that they've had. So hopefully a really good game. They've been the best two teams in it all year. You'll hear the call once it gets underway. So we've got the key issues in footy to deal with next before handing over to the build-up for the AFLW Grand Final, Adelaide Crows and Melbourne. Yes, Daisy Pearce leading her Ds into their first Grand Final and looking for the last piece of her legacy within the women's game. You're listening to Crunch Time. Crunch time ahead of the AFLW Grand Final. The Crows and the Demons at Adelaide Oval. Jared Waitley, Dermot Burton and Kane Corns. We've played with the footy that's been before us so far and a little bit of what comes next. The key issues before us from the week. So the biggest contract development was six years for Darcy Moore. So just, Kane, what's the maximum length of contract that you're comfortable with? Well, it depends, doesn't it? Like it's, it, it is all dependent on you know who you are, how old you are, what you've delivered in the past. Oh, four is around the mark. I mean, Bont and Pelly signed for four. Now, if Bont's happy with four, I reckon most players should be happy with four because he's a top three player in the game. For me. Um, but look, I'm conscious, Jared. I know that this is the the modern way, and that a lot of clubs are doing this, so they they're, they're very scared to lose anyone. But I just don't think, in the history of the game, um, it has worked in favour of the club very often. Now you can point to probably Buddy, and pro- I'll probably give you Dusty, and we co- could go back a bit further and, and go to Alistair Lynch. But when else has it worked in favour of the club? would be my argument behind long-term deals. I'm with you, Kane. I think a four-year is it's, it's a big, it's a big contract. Long time. Once you're taking in six years, and, and obviously we don't know the, the immediate details of what does that contract look like in year six, but it sounds like if you're going for a six-year contract, thereabouts, you're taking into account, the club is taking into account that TPP goes up dramatically if you want to fit everything in. If you have players who are younger, who you assume and hope for them to grow into meaningful positions on your playing staff, you want to pay them accordingly. You're then in a position where you are hoping the TPP goes up sufficiently that you can retain them whilst still contracting new players to the club. Yeah, I, I think there'd be a percentage link rather than just the raw dollars here. So I don't. I think up or down, it would still work in the players' mm. favour. I'm curious, so you've sat on these, Derm. Mm. What do you think of Collingwood's strategy to, or I think from the outside, we would say their two biggest contracts are their Ruckman and their fullback? Yeah, Darcy Moore's been a tremendous player for them and really took a while to find his feet in a position. Uh, Brody Grundy has been the best ruckman in the comp. I think Max Gorn has wrestled that back off him again. Since the signing of that big contract for Brody Grundy, uh, he prob- he's been good, but he probably hasn't been the week-in, week-out player that Collingwood totally expected him to be. So he's got some room for improvement there over the rest of this journey. I like the fact that you you put the, the, the bones of the team down the spine, so to speak, in the old vernacular, and then you flesh it out with good players. And I, I do muck around with it, but you can find midfielders anywhere. If you can't get a 9.5 out of 10 midfielder, 
Well, then you go and buy a nine out of ten. If you can't get a nine out of ten, you get an eight and a half ranked to out of ten. You can find them if you're willing to part with the dollars. So that runs counter to every list that's published, which is stacked with 90% midfielders. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. Who gets the mega contracts, though? Lance. Usually forwards and midfielders rather than Ruckman and Backman. Oh, I think oh true. I Tell think me, there's sorry, the Backman stage. Yeah. yeah, I thought you were talking about what did I perceive as, and I'm talking about the spine, and that yep. includes the, yeah. Uh, yes, Melbourne went a different path, though. They're two big uh, um, uh, signings in, in, on top of what they'd grown themselves were key Backman, mm. Lever and May. And that we raised eyebrows at at the time as well because it did not pay off. For 18 months. So... Yeah, McGovern got a big one, and you would think now knew he's been really well played over the, paid over the journey, so there's probably... But, you, yeah, you, you're right, Jared. And now what do they, now what do, they do with the goey? So, so there's obviously going to be a ceiling on his offer, yeah. and that's exactly how it should be. And are they... So are they prepared to let him go? Obviously, would they would ha- be prepared to, to be. lose him. Is Dugowie will get offered more money elsewhere than he will at Collingwood, and I actually think that's that's Collingwood's lot by choice. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think they have to now with the mistakes that they've made. And I mean, this Grundy do he's, he's still got five years after this to go. So, so got, you, you say they're prepared to lose him? Do you think? Do you think they're going to be disappointed about that? Yeah, I think they would hope Dugowie would stay for yeah. what is a, an extremely okay. reasonable offer, but not the absolute riches light. that he would have in his in, yeah. in his imagination. Okay. So if you were him, would you say, oh, hang on, um, Moore's got six. I'm a better player than Moore. I want six with that. Now, I know then Colin would say, well, hang on, yeah, you know, Darcy Moore wasn't in a bathrobe in New York um, kicking someone or allegedly in a nightclub and getting arrested. So they would say that, but... On playing ability, he's just as deserving, if Moore's getting that, to get the same. But we understand there's um, other factors involved. So Moore's going to be captain. He's been dedicated to his career from day one. He's gets a, injured a solid lot, c- citizen. Get, gets, gets injured a lot. A lot play. or a bit? Well, I'll I have to see how many games he's missed. But he's played 20-plus once yep. in eight years. Now, that's not, that's not a consistent body that um, gets you through year after year after year. And then you have, like, a danger field. Then you have one year where you go back and you play 15 or 16. But he he gets injured most years. There hasn't been a year where he hasn't been injured, really. You've written a piece, Kane, in the West uh, about Nat Fife as captain of Fremantle. So he's in a a really interesting physical battle for his short-term career. He's challenged anyone who wants to raise questions about the long-term, but for his short-term career, this is as big a challenge as he seems to have faced. And the, the individual figure that he is as a champion of the game as opposed to a leader of a football club. So the Joel Selwood week got me thinking of Nat Fife. So whenever you hear anyone speak about Joel Selwood, and I understand he's you know, maybe the best captain we've ever had. It's all about club and people and how to make the place better. And he speaks so glowingly about the, the people that have helped him get to this position and how lucky he was to land at, at Geelong. Even in a week where he's broken one of the longest standing records in the game, it was all about club. And I read a piece on, on Nat Fife during the week, and it was all about Nat Fife. Now, I'm understanding it was probably focused on Nat Fife, but I've spoken to the journalist who did the piece, and it was, it was a lot about Nat getting back. And there wasn't a lot about... 
how does the team get back? And how do I lead the team to a premiership as premiership captain? And I, I just think he's fascinating. I think he's the most fascinating individual in the game. One of his quotes was, he has to get his hour-to-hour mindset at the optimal. So as you move from space to space, you are operating as close to your peak as, you, as often as you can. And it was just all about how he's going to get back and how he's going to prove people wrong and how he's going to play midfield. And uh, he, the experiment of playing him forward is, is over. So is it all about Nat or is it all about the club? And as a captain, and there's nothing wrong with being driven and focused on yourself and getting the best out of yourself and being an absolute professional, which he is. But as a captain, and and his record as captain is 33 wins and 52 losses and hasn't hasn't captained the team to a final, is he the right guy to lead them forward? And you hear from Fremantle and those that you speak to is that the more injuries that he's had and the more people that are doubting whether he'll come back, he's been more insular and more focused on himself. So I just wonder what legacy he will leave as captain and has he been a good captain for Fremantle is the question I would ponder because you, you, you could say that he probably hasn't. It sounds like you've described a golfer. It's very insular. It's very much about the internal processes of himself and there's there's nothing else around him. There's no team around him, just mm. his caddy. So it's all the internal processes. Is, is it bona fide that he does not think about his team? I'd find that hard to digest. You know, yeah, well, just publicly, you know. like, I, And so he, he said in this uh, piece that he did with News Corp that he, he is, he, he likes to spend a lot of time self-isolating and that is um, one of his personality traits. And I thought, well, that's the direct opposite to Selwood. Selwood spoke about how he loves being around the footy club and he loves hanging around with the teammates, whereas Fife, you hear that he, he'll do his weights on his own and then he'll go home. You know, it just doesn't, it's not the traditional mm. personality trait of a of a great captain, you know, the... the, the you know the what it does sound like, though, yeah. Kane? It, and with all honesty, and I love him to bits, Lee Matthews was the same. Right. Lee Matthews rarely spent time with his teammates. You could chat with him and have a, a laugh and a joke with him, but rarely spent time with him, rarely spent time in the gym, was out on the training track, and he was Lee Matthews, so he <laughs> could do whatever he wants. I don't know if... As good as Nathan Fife is, he's not Lee Matthews. And, but Matthews was quite insular to himself as well, and we just followed the actions. Do they? Would would they? Would his teammates be comfortable with just following Nathan Fife's actions? And they may be, but it's hard when you're injured as well because you're not out there. You know, if his greatest strength as captain is, I'm going to lead by example out there, and you would never question his courage or his brilliance or the way that he plays and his effort. But it makes it a bit difficult when you're not out there as well. Anyway, it just had me thinking about the different styles of captain and really whether that is, yeah, whether that is, um, you know, the way forward for Freeman or whether it's time to go somewhere else. So I think the the recent example is Trent Cochin, who had all of those traits as an insular figure and then realised that he needed to serve the greater cause. And part of the evolution from Richmond is that sort of selfish statistically driven mm. team to the the force that they become as that became as a, as a united group was Cochin's recognition that he actually needed to be more to the team but that was reflected in the way he played i don't think nathan fife has ever reflected as a player i need more stats i need more hands on the ball so i can be better 
I've always thought I'll do what I can to be the best I can to be the best for this team. There was a time when I thought Trent Cotchin, before he became all about team, was mm. I'll run back 20 metres behind play to wrap around this ruckman who's just taken a mark and I'll get the ball and I'll chip it sideways. I might get it back on the, uh, on the flow out as well. There's two stats. I think Trent was a little bit like that many, many years ago and then suddenly the penny dropped and he said, hey, I can be a really meaningful player in the existence of this club and, and the progression forward. I don't think Nathan Fife's ever been quite that. His, his actions have stood for the betterment of the team while on the field. Yep. Mm. Darcy Moore's flow of games, incidentally, is 9, 17, 21, 7, 17, 18, 13. 13 last year. You missed the last. I just looked it up. He missed the last, I think, seven or eight with a knee injury. Yep. Uh, last piece of our discussion today is to take us back where we were a week ago with the mm. Cyril Rioli story. This was Sean Burgoyne. So we've progressively heard during the week from Luke Hodge and from Jordan Lewis and then from the man within the club who was the Indigenous leader, the one that the players would defer to and consult on all such matters during their time at the club. Yeah, my, my experience is I had a, a lot of happy times there. Obviously, we still lost a grand final and lost games, had injuries and all those things, but, you know, I couldn't be more happy of, of my time there. And, um, you know, that's my own personal p- opinion and everyone's entitled to their own and Cyril's got his, which is, you know, obviously in the media this week. But, yeah, my, my situation and my um, enjoyment levels and is completely different to his. And, but I still have... Um, I still think Sewell enjoyed his time at, at Hawthorne as well. He played a lot of time there, a lot of games, premierships, Norm Smiths and, and the likes. But, um, yes, yeah, once certain things dealt with, and the club internally are dealing with these now. Sean Berg on, on Channel 7 on Thursday night. So the flow of the week's been interesting, Dermot. So mm. uh, it was a sad piece a week ago. Today's piece with Michael Long in the Herald Sun. Just It makes me feel awkward to see what essentially is a, a family feud being played out very publicly. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Hawthorne has had, in that era since Cyril's arrived and before he arrived, Chance Bateman was a very strong figure in the Indigenous sector of AFL players. And I will say, I was on the board then, taught us. And his his vernacular, even back then, was, don't say, don't say uh, uh, Eddie Betts is a, a clever young Indigenous player. Call him a clever young player. Stop mentioning that we are Indigenous. And he taught us so much about that. And he handed that baton over to uh, uh, Sean Berger and Silk when he arrived at the club as well. And, and then you've got leaders like Roughhead and Jordan Lewis and Hodgie and, and Sam Mitchell himself. They are strong, willful men. And that's why last week I, I took opposition in sorts, in part, I'm trying to respect the views of, of, uh, of, of Cyril and his partner. But basically I was of the view that these are strong men. They did not let things like this happen and go unnoticed. They clamped it. The major, and I'll, I'll be honest, I spoke to Jeff shortly after and the very first thing Jeff said was, I feel so sorry for Cyril. His sympathy was not for himself that people were going to come for him. It was for Cyril. So he probably knew a bit more than he let out to me. Um, and you know what? I, as a Hawthorne supporter, and we've just gone through the, the, the moments of loving what Lance Franklin has done for both Hawthorne and Sydney, 
I can't think of more enjoyment I have seen as a spectator in the game than watching Cyril Rioli. Mm. And I would say we, myself and other Hawthorne people, love Cyril Rioli and want to welcome him back with open arms and try and help him with whatever he's going through. Dermot Burton and Kane Corns with us on Crunch Time today. Kane, thank you. Thank you. Good to see you again, Dermot. You too. See you, mate. All right. Take so care. this see is a care. huge afternoon in prospects. The the legacy of Daisy Pearce, the legend of Aaron Phillips, Adelaide looking for a third AFLW Premiership, Melbourne for its first and to complete the men's, women's double in a matter of months. AFLW Grand Final Day, the Crows and the Demons next. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.